0: This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly.
1: Episode 148, the challenges of picking up an IFR clearance in the air and a descend via clearance example. Coming up in this episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast.
0: Now here are your co-hosts, Victoria Neuville, Eric Crump, Larry Overstreet, Russ Roselescu, Tom Frick, Rick Felty, and Carl Valeri.
1: Well, welcome, folks. This is Carl Valeri, and welcome to a regular episode of the Stuck My Gavcast. We've been doing a lot of interviews lately, and it's exciting to have the regular crew back with us. I was going to say a normal episode, but there's no such thing as a normal episode, (laughs) especially with this crew, that we have this evening. And joining us this evening is uh, Tom Frick and uh, Victoria Neuble, and also we have Rick Felty. Welcome, guys, and welcome back to the podcast. We haven't talked in such a long time.
2: Yay, welcome back. I hey,
1: missed Carl. you. Yes, and I have missed you too. As a matter of fact, Victoria, you and I haven't actually talked in a while. We talked a little bit about insurance, I think, offline, but that was about it. And uh, it's it's really cool to have everybody back. And what's neat is we're going to do another one of those technical uh, type of episodes that people love to hear and I love to hear. We all learn something from it, some examples from what people have been doing out there. But uh, I'd love to hear people's feedback. I'd love to hear your feedback, listeners right now, that uh, about those other episodes we've done if you want to hear more of those interviews we have a lot of them lined up and uh, some really amazing people and talented people out there in the aviation world this is all about you it's about learning to fly living to fly and loving to fly and we always want you to learn something and enjoy this podcast like we enjoy bringing it to you that's for sure
0: let's do the pre-flight
1: with that said, uh, a couple things before we get started, of course, are the people that, m- that help bring this podcast to fruition are our, our sponsors. Uh, of course, uh, myself and Aviation Careers Podcast sponsor this podcast, but also our friends at Three Point Aviation Services. We want to thank our sponsor there. They specialize in aviation seminars and training materials. So go check out Three Point's Facebook page to browse its new collection. They have a new collection of short aviation articles, and that can be found at facebook.com slash the number three Point Aviation again that's the number three Point Aviation at facebook.com really terrific folks really cool articles very very interesting very technical articles as a matter of fact some of the technical articles that we've written before on some of the other websites like Expert Aviator we're going to talk about here some of those things came from some of the questions from Three Point Aviation. So, again, Facebook.com slash Three Point Aviation, Three Point Aviation Services, seminars, and training materials. As a matter of fact, they're the ones that put together that holding patterns uh, video that was uh, popular there for uh, learning how to do advanced holding patterns. Who, who would have thought you could talk for, like, hours about holding patterns? I know... Uh, Tom and I have actually sat through quite a few seminars, I <laughs> think, about holding patterns. And I, I don't know about you, Tom, but I've learned something usually after every seminar, I've come up with some, some really good practices.
3: Oh, indeed. Yeah, <laughs> we've learned a lot from 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 three point and uh, sitting through those seminars. And uh, you know, I use that stuff when I'm when I'm training as well. Questions always come up, and uh, holding patterns are still hard to learn.
1: Yeah, they are. It's something you'll use for the rest of your life. It's something that's awesome because you can, you know, you have a, a little spot in space that you can hang out and. Otherwise, you'd be traveling all over the world, just being vectored from point to point. Uh, we have all these fears of holding patterns, and there really shouldn't be a fear of that because we worry about entering the holding pattern, and are we protected within that airspace? His seminars, they tell you a little bit about that. Anyway, let's move on to some of the announcements. Our first announcement, of course, when right after you listen to this podcast that's going to come out here on the 15th, we're going to have some other event that goes on. It's, it's over there in, in Wisconsin. And uh, what's it? Oh, yeah, Air Venture. It's the big event of the year. It's the largest air show from what I understand. Uh, and it's uh, July 24th through the 30th. As a matter of fact, Larry Overstreet is not here today because he's getting prepared to be live from Oshkosh. We're going to have live at Oshkosh, it's going to be Tom Frick, it's going to be Larry Overstreet, it's going to be Russ Rosleski and hopefully myself, if I can get away, which, uh, uh, as you know, we've, we've announced this before, that uh, we're moving the operations over to Lakeland, Florida, we're going to have a new studio over in Lakeland. And uh, that's actually what's supposed to have happened about a month ago. It's happening, actually, in the next couple of days. But uh, I'm going to try to jump seat up there and, and hang out there. Oh, oh, by the way, Tom, are you going to put me up while on, I'm in Oshkosh? Um, in like what? In a tent?
3: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I might be able to find you a spare sleeping bag. I think I got an emergency blanket I could cover you up with. Oh no, Tom! You're going to be the sleeping bag again? No, I don't think so. I think I'm going to be. Uh, I think I'm spending with our friends over at A and we've got a we've got a house we stay in up there off site, and then travel in every day.
1: Awesome! But I'll hey, be up there. I'll be up there all week. Hey, can we? Are we allowed to tease as to who might be there, or is that kind of a secret this year again? Yeah, it's a secret again. Oh, boy. Well, anyway, every year there's there's usually an interesting character that comes along with M0A, so make sure you listen to Tom, and uh, hopefully Tom will get some uh, interviews. Uh, some uh, really interesting folks in aviation go up there, and those people that love aviation and love flying usually congregate in Oshkosh. Also, Potapalooza is going to be happening at Oshkosh, and we are going to be at Potapalooza. And uh, I know Tom will be there, Larry will be there, uh, and I think also we will—I'll be there—and possibly Russ will be there too. And Victoria, I know—I'm pretty sure you said you won't be going to Oshkosh this year.
4: No, nope, holding down Ford at work at home. Mm,
1: yeah, someone's going to got to make uh, some money and do some work there. I'm gotta... getting
4: some serious FOMO right now. <laughs> It's oh, not boy. fair. No, it isn't. It's not
1: fair at all. The, you're uh, missing
4: out. I know.
1: I know. But no, I, de- I am definitely going to try to make it there and show up. It may just be for a day. And uh, I know Rick said you you're not going to pop in, are you, for the day?
2: No, not going to be able to. Although somebody, several some people online from something we said in a previous show, seemed to think I was going. So let me I'll just correct that and say I'm not going to not going to be there this year again.
1: Yeah, I actually committed to it and said I was going to go and I really hope I can. I may just fly up there and say I was there and walk out the field and go. Uh, But uh, what a wonderful event and other people that are just as passionate about aviation as we are. Speaking of which, there's a lot of podcasters out there. There's some new podcasts out there, some really great stuff that's happening, some terrific content that's being made and it's a, it's a wonderful community, and I hope we support all those other podcasts that are out there. Uh, so definitely go out there and check that out. Anyway, let's uh, – oh, one more announcement. I think, Victoria, you had an announcement, didn't you? Are you going to announce this? Are you going to tell us?
4: Yeah, it's a very special day today because <laughs> Carl and I are celebrating seven years of friendship on Facebook. And, you know, who knew?
2: Oh, my gosh.
4: <laughs> that we would be here today. I think recording. it all started
2: with, with him carrying some chairs for you, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh,
1: my gosh, I remember that. <laughs> the, the
4: day we met in person, yes, the first time we met, I said, here's a chair, and I put him to work. And you know, folks, I'm things sorry. haven't changed I owe you since. you
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, And it's been a wonderful journey since. I can't believe uh, we've come this far. You know, it's it's interesting when you look back at the relationship you have in aviation in general in, in life is that, you, you know, there's some ups and there's downs in life, but your friends always stay. And uh, that's the one great thing about Victoria, being friends with her, is the fact that we we've always have been, always will be, and uh, barring any anything that I do that's stupid, it's uh, it'll continue that way, of course. And uh, it's always been wonderful having you on the show because you you do bring uh, some light to this show, that's for sure. And and it's it's also uh, I don't mind ever uh, carrying chairs for you, by the way.
4: So. Oh, thank you. He's <laughs> still my heart. <laughs> Much uh, love to you all, actually. Uh, you guys are amazing. So.
1: Yeah, this has been great. It's been a wonderful journey. Can you believe seven years? It's just been absolutely phenomenal. I can't wait to say 10 or, or 10, 20 years even that we're going to be yeah. doing this. Um, but uh, anyway, moving on. I really, uh, I'm getting teary-eyed, so I'm going to continue to do this. Uh, <laughs> so, And I'm blushing. I don't know if you can tell. I'm a little red here. But uh, <laughs> Now entering cruise flight. Let's move on to the, the technical side of things. I know Tom and I have been uh, doing a lot of instrument flight instructing and uh, you know me at the college and, of course, Tom is out there flight instructing all day long. And we've got some interesting uh, feedback from you, the listener. And, of course, you can write us at contact at stuckmikeavcast.com. You can go on the Facebook page, ask a, a question. And if we answer it online, it's usually to help not just you but to help the audience. So if you have something you want to share – Please do that, and uh, it could be something simple. It could be a simple question that could turn into a long conversation, which this one's about to. So let's get to the first. We have two questions from listeners, and let's get to the first one, uh, which is which is really interesting, and it's short, but it it, it actually makes a long conversation. So let me try to, to describe it. From a listener, we get an email. that says, if you're cleared to descend via the star on the hyper 7 hyper 7 for runway 19 center at Dulles what altitude should you descend to now before we start talking about this if you're listening right now if you go online you're going to see that we have links to the hyper 7 arrival and also the ILS to 19 center at Dulles airport and uh, but before we even talk about doing the descend vias remember that as a general aviation pilot, we are expecting to hear more of these descend via clearances, and that's one of the reasons we're talking about this. Also, for those of you that fly professionally and uh, and love general aviation, we want to throw some things your way to talk about here in this podcast. So that's another reason we're talking about this. But descend via clearances are wonderful because the controller can just issue you the clearance. It's simple. They'll say descend via the Hyper 7 for runway 197 at Dulles International Airport, and now you have to figure out what altitude you need to descend to. So before we we go into this, I'm going to answer it real quickly uh, with, for 19, it's going to be 19 Center again, it's going to be 7,000 feet. So let's back up and let's try to go through this whole process of that arrival. So what I want you to do, if you're not, if you're just listening right now, I'm going to kind of talk through this arrival a little bit, and try to describe this in in words as to what we're doing. But there's certain key points here that you don't need the pictures for, but it's, it'd be awesome if you had the pictures. So let's look at the the Hyper Seven and 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 Tom, Victoria, and Rick. Let's try to pull that up. Uh, it'll be in the show notes, and it'll show the Hyper Seven arrival, the first page of that. Okay is, is going to actually give you all the, uh, the, the transition routes to that arrival. That's how you get onto the arrival. You know, I like to always talk about STARS as like, a, like an off-ramp off the major highway. So you're going to get on this star, this terminal arrival procedure, and you're going to make your way in towards the airport. And by doing that, I don't have to, as a controller, tell you everything you need to do along that route. And there's altitude restrictions, et cetera, that are along this arrival procedure. Looking at the first page, it's pretty easy. Uh, this person that asked us questions didn't say where they were coming from. So let's just assume they're coming from Albany, New York, and they're going to fly along this arrival on their way in to the airport. And we have a couple of different altitudes that are depicted on there. There's uh, – usually they'll have – and, and uh, the NACA charts is what we're going to use here. We're actually – because we can't really show the Jeppesen charts, by the way. I, I do need to mention that. Because of copyright restrictions, we haven't gotten permission by, from Jeppesen to put them up here. Otherwise, they would. But these charts will be just fine. There's some notes along those charts about, like, radar reco- required, RNAV1, DME, DME, IRU, or GPS required – Turbojet or turbo uh, prop aircraft only, and aircraft capable of 180 knots or greater. So obviously, this is in from from a professional pilot, but it's it's some really good stuff that we can learn from. So the first part of that, those transition routes, there's not many altitude restrictions, but there's a couple of altitudes that are printed on this chart. Tom's going to talk a little bit about that, but let me describe them so uh, along this Albany route, you'll see flight level one eight zero and then you'll see flight level one eight zero from Atwan to to filga and then on in and you're going to see uh that the altitude on the top let's let's look at uh, one that's easy to see it's to botless to jets botless to jets it says fourteen thousand and then it says a, there's a star with a with a two five o after it so that top altitude that that fourteen thousand feet is that minimum in route altitude? Which uh, Tom, I think you can maybe help describe what that means as far as as this chart's concerned, or in general, what that is.
3: Sure. So an MEA is is the um, the lowest published altitude between radio fixes, and it and it ensures navigational signal signal coverage, and it also meets obstacle clearance requirements for those fixes. So and that's that's basically the definition out of the um, Instrument Procedures Handbook from the FAA.
1: So what's interesting about this, Tom, is that between those two fixes, we see 14,000, and then we see this little star or asterisk, and it says 2,500. And that is, what is that?
3: That is a MOCA. So that is a minimum obstruction clearance altitude. And that is the lowest published altitude in effect between radio fixes on that VOR airway Um, and on an off-route airway or a route segment that meets obstacle clearance requirements for the entire route segment. So you have obstacle clearance between the two um, NAVAIDs,
1: and then you have obstacle clearance over the entire route
3: segment, which is your MOCA.
1: So in this case, Tom, it's between these two fixes that we have that MOCA, which is 2,500 from botless to Jets, and this is an RNAV arrival, so those are route fixes. Uh, so we, what's interesting about this, Tom? Though, if you notice, the next one is two thousand eight hundred. It actually goes up, doesn't it? So yes. It, why is that?
3: Between those two fixes,
1: from Jets to Sarah, it actually goes up. It was twenty five hundred. Now it's twenty eight hundred. So that just meets what you just said, right? The the obstruction clearance certification for that that route. That route, yeah. exactly. Which is just and between it, Jets and which Sarah. Which means there's, there's higher obstacles in that route. Right, right, exactly. And that's that's kind of the point I wanted to make there is, uh, and I, I kind of led you into that there, but it's uh, you actually may have a mocha during a route segment that's actually lower than the next segment. So you may think that you can go down to 2,500, but remember, when you get to Jets, you'd actually have to to climb up to 2,800. That's important. Uh, for a couple reasons, because if we want to get lower because of some reason operationally or staying out of icing, et cetera, we need to know those altitudes. Because if we stay at 2,500 after jets, we're not going to really be safe. We're not guaranteed that obstruction clearance unless we can actually look outside the airplane VFR. And that's a, that's a very important point to make is uh, is making sure that we stay above all those obstructions. So good stuff uh, on the on the first part of that.
4: Question for yes, you. Yes, yes, ma'am. Would there be a reason for a jet, an airliner, to be that low at this point in the route?
1: Yeah, if we're burning up, if we have, uh, say, something inside with smoke in the cockpit, that kind of thing
4: oh, okay. uh, is,
1: uh, or any. But kind typically, of... no. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah no. Excuse not me. normally. It would just be because if if we have to, uh, if we have a smoke or fumes event, we have to get below. The immediate thing you do is get down to ten thousand feet, usually. Uh, or the MEA or the MOCA which is in this case the MOCA we can get down to that low because if you notice we need to get down to 10,000 so when you're making a decision here uh, you see that 14,000 feet, but we know we have obstruction clearance between those two points. So we're really looking at those, saying, okay, I need to depressurize this aircraft. I need to evacuate all the smoke from the mm-hmm. from the fuselage, and that's what I can do is get down to that low. It also helps, you know, obviously with the, the breathing of the passengers. We are on oxygen the whole time, so that's all that matters there. That Good question, sense. though. That was awesome. Okay. Um, so anyway, let, let's look at this route going down to Delro intersection on the Dulles, on the on the Hyper 7 Arrival. That's actually where the transition routes end. So whether you're coming from like Robinsville, VOR, Barnes, Albany, Modena, uh, even Lancaster, etc., it's all going to end right there at Delro. So what do you need to do uh, when you get to Delro? Well, you know what? We need to flip the page, and we got to go over to the Hyper Seven arrival, the actual arrival routes, and uh, and that actually has a much uh, a much more uh, blown up and descriptive description of this arrival here. It also has uh, the all these different, and, and what's interesting is trying to figure out where the heck we're going on this arrival because he was talking about one nine center, and uh, remember I said uh, it's going to be. Uh, at 7,000 feet, and there's an easy way that I came up with that. But let's kind of go through that, uh, and I'll tell you how I figured out 1-9 Center. Uh, there's there's a couple ways here, but the easiest way for me to do that is in the actual description of the arrival, and that's on another page. But let's, let's just go, because knowing that Cover Intersection is actually the, the portion of that arrival that brings me into 1-9 Center... I know that because I've flown there a bunch of times, but also if I didn't know that, it's easy enough to figure out. Not you so can much. kind of
2: see it, right, in that chart.
1: Exactly. Like someone,
2: someone like me who who doesn't know this specifically, you know, but someone who sat outside of, of the arrival path for O'Hare for years and Brian worked <laughs> in Chicago, you know, that, which is just parallel approaches generally off the lake. It looks exactly like that, except there are three paths in, at right. about officially at 191, Right. it looks like.
1: Yeah, and and remember, there's uh, the one nine center, the one nine left, yeah. one nine right. So you can kind of you do get that depiction there, don't you?
2: Yeah, it, totally.
1: Yeah, so but but Rick that's a great point and you kind of can follow that but to really back it up is the next page actually has the route description which is is textual description that tells you uh how to arrive in this in this uh, arrival oh. pattern so that's yeah. another way to do that but yes that's that's intuitive uh so Rick with that said um why do they have some of these other like TCon and Mike e, Mike J, I think is how you say it there, that are on the other sides of those. I mean, why are they putting those in there? They're for another reason, and that would be to go to other runways, right? Because you're going to continue on and then turn around when you get there. So, for instance, huh. right? Does that it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? That you're going to pass the the airport and then turn around yeah. and land on one. So it's it's like you said, it's pretty intuitive, isn't it? Yeah. Even for somebody that doesn't have their instrument rating, Rick, I'm 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 just so impressed yeah. that you picked up on that. <laughs>
2: pa- trying to pay attention here, Carl. <laughs> trying to follow. I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to be Joe Joe Listener. <laughs> this is awesome, and, and he gets the
1: big start. You know, I think you should get your instrument rating just for that one. Okay, but, sure. Uh, no, that just- that was good, and that's great that you picked up on that because these are, you know, very intuitive these arrivals. So. Let's pick up on here on the on the Delro arrival. And if you look at Delro, remember we stopped at the other uh, transition routes. Now we're on the arrival. You'll notice the next fix is Lurch, and it has this 14,000 feet, and it's got a line above it and a line below it. Uh, and I'll ask Rick this, and, of course, uh, it might be intuitive. What does that mean, having that, those two lines there?
2: Okay, I'm totally lost, so just so, go ahead. I'll so it. no, I and, it.
1: And, and so if you see a number and there's a line above it and there's a line below it, that's telling you that uh, you can cross and you have to cross at that altitude. That means you have to cross at that altitude. So when you're descending, oh. that lurch, L-I-R-C-H, it's after Delro, uh, on the Hyper 7 on the arrival routes. If you're following along in the show notes, you'll see it here. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that, that actually oh, means, you, yeah, part the next does. page, yeah, the second page. So we're on the, the second page. It'll actually show Lurch intersection. And it mm-hmm. says you have to cross lurch at 14,000 feet. So that's a cross at restriction. How about the next one? You have uh, Ben's intersection and uh, depicted on bins, And this is kind of, I'm going to go into a little bit of a tangent for just one second. Uh, you'll notice there's a holding pattern there.
2: Yeah.
1: And yeah. it's depicted, says 265 knots, uh, seven nautical miles. Uh, the reason they put those on there is, uh, can you take a guess, Rick, since you're doing so well? <laughs> why 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 would they put that, that holding pattern there? Well for traffic, no. Right. First. Exactly. If they want to slow people down, uh they'll say, Hey, listen, hold it bins as as published. They right. may even Which say Which is so that
2: you so both sides of the equation know to expect the yeah. potential for something there. Awesome. Right? Perfect. Rather than a random location.
1: Perfect. So if they in that way they don't have to describe it to you either. So nice. now they've just saved all this time. They say, "Yeah, hold as depicted," and you just hold right there at bins. And they say, "Oh yeah, continue on to hyper hold as as, as published," and they'll hold right. you there at hyper, which is the next one at 210 knots with four nautical mile legs. And uh, and of course, those those are are great to have because then you know that you're going to expect that. And it's like when you start hearing people holding, you're like, "Uh oh, I need to put this in my FMS or into my GPS into my my uh, you know my Garmin." that I need to hold at that position. So let's get, let's continue on down that, past the Benz intersection, and then move over to hyper, which hyper is actually the name of this arrival, the hyper seven arrival. And uh, from this hyper seven point, okay, from excuse me, from this hyper point is where we start branching off. But before we branch off to the specific runways where we're gonna land, there's something we need to do uh, before we actually head in that direction, if we were given a clearance, and that would be, and this is on a descend via clearance. So let me let me just uh, back up for two seconds. When we were on this arrival, we were say at an altitude of twenty-five thousand feet. If they gave us the descend via the hyper seven arrival, we would know we would descend down to seven thousand. Because remember, I said that before at cover intersection seven thousand. But there's certain restrictions that we have on here. Lurch is one of them. Hyper is another one. We'll talk about that in a minute. One of the reasons they have these restrictions has to do with, well, there's a couple of different reasons, but one of them is a lot to do with the airspace, and we may have departures going out underneath us, and they don't want you descending down below that. It also allows them to free up the airspace so they don't have to continually tell you, hey, listen, wait at 14,000 at lurch, then you can start descending to 10,000 feet at hyper. So you see those little lines, the above and below lines, and it says ten thousand feet, and that's at Hyper Intersection. So, Tom, I'm going to ask you this question: Next to that Hyper at ten thousand feet, it means we have to cross. We have to cross at the ten thousand. There's something else to the right uh, with like a little lightning strike that goes to Hyper Intersection. It says two five zero K. What's that telling us? That you have to cross it at two hundred and fifty knots. And that's an at symbol because that's a above and below. One of the things that, that uh, you know, Tom, we've talked about this a bunch of times, but I think it's something we need to stress uh, to, to listeners is that when you're on an arrival, you're on an arrival, and you see a restriction as far as airspeed, a restriction that's an airspeed restriction, even if you were not given the descend via clearance, meaning descending down to an altitude, but you're on an arrival, you still must comply with the speed restrictions. Descend via has to do with altitude, but on the arrival, there's a speed restriction unless you're told otherwise. So if you're you're on this arrival and you weren't given a descend via, say you were at 30,000 feet along the arrival, you still, even if you're at 30,000 feet, you have to slow down to 250 knots on this arrival. And that, that makes some sense, doesn't it? And uh, so I, I really think... This is an important point because a lot of people uh, mess this up. I'm not going to go into some of the other nuances on the on the descend via because we have that in a whole other article. But let's just continue on with this arrival. And so after the hyper intersection at ten thousand. Yes, Mm -hmm.
4: ma'am. Just because I'm trying to follow along because it's been a while since I've done anything close to this. say you were at 30,000 feet and they didn't give you a descend via, you still have to be at 10,000 feet by this point, um, right? You're nah, still good,
1: following? Very good question. And actually you don't. If okay. they have not given you a descend via clearance, if they haven't told you to descend at all, you have to remain at 30,000 feet. Great So you're point.
4: staying up there even though this exactly. is the requirement, be there yeah. at 10,000 at that point.
1: And, and at that point, you're going to tell the controller, "Hey guys." Uh, hello. I'm
4: supposed to be down here. Yeah, this,
1: this ain't gonna work. So you're gonna need to do something. Maybe you should put me in that holding pattern at hyper intersection and let me descend to ten thousand feet, then continue on. And that can happen. Uh, actually, that's a great great point you brought up because this happens also often. Is that you're on this arrival and they forget. Every so often that happens. They either they forget or they have traffic. Give them the benefit of the doubt, and they say, Okay, maintain 30,000, but now they want you to descend via the arrival. And you're just sitting there, like, What? <laughs> you know, I'm already at delro intersection, I'm at 30,000 feet, I am not going to make it there. So, normally, one of the things you'll hear when on the radio, this happened to me yesterday actually, I'll say, Hey, listen. Do you want the altitude or do you want the airspeed? Because I can't do both of those things. I can't slow down and go down at the same time. Normally, they want you to do the altitude. You may not even make that altitude. So that's when you use the term unable. And we're going to try our best to get down. So make sure you do You do stress that with the controller. If you cannot make any restriction because of the operation of your aircraft, you just tell them you can't do it. Uh, because that, that was them. That's the, they held you there for a while for whatever reason. So uh, great point, though, Victoria, is that you cannot descend it out. To, you don't start down. This is actually a question that's brought up almost every time in the seminars that we do on this, uh, Descend Via, is that if they're giving you an arrival and they haven't given you a clearance to descend, do I just go down to that 10,000 feet? No, you don't descend until they tell you to descend with airspeeds. Now we switch over to airspeeds. It's different. You actually have to slow to those airspeeds that are depicted on there. Two totally different things. There's an airspeed and there's an altitude. So don't ever descend until you're told to descend via. Uh, but that was an awesome question. That uh, that question does come up almost every time during a seminar. Um, anyway, following along, and I know that this is really complex, a lot of fun. Uh, and this arrival is complex. So I, that's why I love this thing. So we're at Hyper and and as Rick said, you know, 1-9 center is, well, thats the one in the middle, isn't it? And so we're going to go from hyper to cover intersection. And at cover, it says at 7,000 feet. And then we descend below 10,000, below 250 knots because we're there already, to 7,000 feet. Afterwards, we don't go any lower until we're told to. And this gets a little confusing because now I have to make it onto the approach. So let's just stay here for a second on this arrival. We've made it to 7,000 feet. We were at, say, 30,000 feet. We're told to descend via. We stopped at 7,000 feet. Again, when can I start down? I can't start down until I'm vectored for the approach or I'm told to descend to another altitude. But my bottom altitude, quote-unquote bottom altitude, is 7,000 feet. And I'm gonna make sure I make it down to that 7,000. Does that make sense? Any questions on that before we head on to the approach?
2: All right. What are, what are those numbers just below uh, mm-hmm. cover, below okay. the 7,000?
1: So, what they've done here is uh, if you notice uh, the MEAs and the MOCAs, they were easy to read. Up yeah. uh, between the other points, what they've had to do to put it on the chart. You mean the four thousand and thirty-four hundred? the thirty-four yeah, hundred. They've had to. They've had to turn that. So oh, I that's see. your that's Moca that and your MEA. So the the way you can make sure it's the Moca is with that that star, the that's asterisk, right. thirty-four hundred, and the right. four thousand is the MEA. Okay. So does that yeah. make sense? Okay, good. Yeah. Uh So and, we. And Rick,
3: can, if you go. look this. Different pieces of information there. It's it's a three mile leg. It's a heading of one nine 191, right? Your mea that. your mea is four thousand, and your moca is three thousand four hundred.
2: Okay, cool.
1: Yeah, and that's that's a great great point there, Tom. Because then after a dim key, we go another five miles to to Hooser, and okay.
3: uh, where well, we pick up the approach.
1: Which we I was going to say. So so that's it's interesting. Now why in the world is that depicted on that? And uh, Tom, you just said it. It's actually on the approach there, isn't it? So why don't we do that? Let's flip over. If you're, you're again, you're on the, the website. Click over to One Nine Center, and hopefully we're describing this for people that aren't aren't here right now. But at one, on One Nine Center, Hoser Hooser uh, intersection is that it says to cross at or above five thousand feet. There's a five thousand with a line below it. Uh, if we look at the profile view on the approach plate for One Nine Center ILS localizer DME or runway One Nine Center, we are at seven thousand feet. And uh, we can't go down until we are allowed to go down. So if they say to us, maintain 7,000, or they don't say anything. If they say descend via the clearance and we're at 7,000, and then they give us a clearance to, uh, to for the approach, we have to wait until we actually, at or below, it inter- or our intersection to start our descent, unless the controller says to us, descend to, say, 5,000 feet, or they can even tell us to descend to 4,000 feet, and people are like, Oh my god, they can't do that. Well, the reason they can descend you lower than that 5,000 feet is that is another term, and that's their minimum vectoring altitude, which you will not see on these charts. The controllers can act or actually vector you if you feel you're in trouble or there's an issue and you feel like you might hit the ground. You may query them and actually may say, Do you really want us to maintain 4,000 feet? And they'll say, yes, maintain 4,000, you're clear for the ILS to runway 19 center. Uh, but if you are just strictly clear for this approach, you're going to wait till you get to Hoosier Intersection. What's interesting about that intersection, so if you can look at that profile view of, of Hoosier, and that's the side view there, there's uh, some interesting ways to figure out uh, that you're actually at that intersection. Um, and, Tom, what, what's one way you can figure out that you're at Hoosier Intersection? Let's see, 17.5 DME? Right, right. Um, So say if everything just kind of pooped out on me, my DME, et cetera, just pooped out, and all I've got is my ILS, and uh, I can actually still identify that if I'm still talking to them and uh, I'm still in radar contact, can I, for the Hoosier intersection? One of the ways again is with the radar because it says radar that's a radar intersection also sure. another substitution here that uh Here's the uh, go ahead one the one two four um was that yes a- yeah, off the one, of, <laughs> off of
3: um, what is that Martinsburg? Martinsburg,
1: right, right. Uh-huh. There's a, there's another way, and I, I'm glad you said that. Is there's another way to determine where that is, and that's off the Martinsburg VOR, the 124 radial, and 20.5 DME, or the intersection of that radial and the and the localizer will allow you to figure out where that is. The radar, the DME, and there's even one more, and that's for us because we're flying with a new Garmin G1000, and we can use our GPS to substitute for DME. So that's another way we can find that. We have Hooser intersection in our database, and we can see it there. So there's many ways to describe that intersection and and see how how this goes. we We can actually have all these different failures, but still we can actually do this approach, even though we don't have radar. We don't have DME. Our VOR has failed, although that would be a bad day, and uh, or say the Martinsburg VOR failed. Let's just say that. And our ILS is the only thing that's working. We can still do this approach. We can still do this approach if we have our GPS and we can substitute for that uh, position there at Hoosier. So then you can arrive on the approach. What you're going to he- hear from them Uh, It says here uh, on the approach plate, by the way, it says DME or radar required. Of course, we can substitute our GPS for that DME there. Uh, We actually have to have those, but uh, what you're going to hear on this approach, going back to what I was going to say, is uh, maintain, let's just say a clearance is maintain 5,000. You're clear for the ILS DME, runway 19 center approach. And then you can actually arm your approach and head on down uh, the localizer all the way uh, towards the runway. So hopefully that's helped a little bit. Uh, questions. My next thing is, uh, I'm, I'm sure there's gonna be a lot of questions on this one. And I we're not going to dive into the approach as much as the descend via. But remember, there's always a way to get on the highway. And there's always a way to get off the highway. Doing the star and connected to an ILS is one way to get off the highway in the sky. And uh, there's many ways that we depict those points. And I think it's it's very helpful to understand those things. And if you're having some confusion as to what I need to do on a descend via, we have a couple other videos, et cetera, out there, but you're not alone. It's, it's very, it can be very confusing, but if you just remember those simple rules that you can't start descending, and I'm glad that, glad that Victoria brought this up, you cannot start descending until you are told to descend via the arrival. Uh, a couple other things: If they tell you to descend like to twenty thousand feet, you're only allowed to go down to twenty thousand feet. If they tell you to descend via, you go down to the bottom altitude. How do you find that? It's the lowest altitude detected, and then that's cover intersection. If you have a problem trying to figure that out, you go over to the arrival description. It's always nice to go back to to a written description, uh, and it makes it uh, really easy. The other thing too in there, if you notice in the the arrival description on the previous page, it says to. Expect ILS Localizer 1-9 Center, and, uh, and that's actually for you that uh, on the arrival, if you have any type of, of communication failure, you can expect that, you know, as far as descending and the route that you fly, that will actually allow you to fly that arrival depending on what time you arrive at the airport, so good stuff though. Great question, um, and I love it. I, you know, we don't mind taking these questions from from you folks that are professional pilots because of the fact that these are very they're they're difficult uh, in some respects. But if you go back to the to the basic rules and just break it down, they actually are a lot a lot simpler than uh, than you can imagine. Any other questions before we move on? Tom, is there anything you wanted to add, Victoria, uh, Rick? Before we go on to our next question. No, well, that was awesome. I'm good. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, good. And I and and like I said, we could actually go through this whole approach plate, and there's a bazillion things—maybe not a bazillion, but a lot of things—that we could talk about on that just on just that approach plate alone. It's a lot of fun. So, uh, if you have any questions on that approach, just please let us know. Uh, anyway, the next one comes in, and we've—I uh, think yeah—we definitely have time for this one. Uh, and by the way, awesome question. Very simple question. But a lot to it, wasn't it? Uh, the next one comes in from a listener that, uh, it, and we're not going to say his name or anything. But oh, and by the way, if you have a question like this, and you describe your name and the place, et cetera, we're not going to, we're not going to actually. Uh, describe your name we're not going to describe where you are that type of thing but we're going to go through the scenario because it's very helpful for our listeners and we also want to protect you and you know so you don't have any issues with violations etc this person's flying a piper has an old gps and uh, an ipad as well and was following along a a route of flight filed a flight plan and uh, says that he was on um, the weather on this trip uh, was down to vfr on top for some, and then VFR all the way down. So during that trip, uh, m- some of the part of the trip was VFR on top, but VFR all the way down. Uh, and he continues, okay, so we're going to start his journey. We're going to start on this journey on his flight. Uh, he spoke with, with the RDU, uh, Raleigh-Durham, and then Washington Center, who handed him off to Cherry Point for the last point of the flight. It was just, He was uh, scheduled to depart Saturday, however, uh, had marginal VFR and some convective activity. They waited for the weather to open and then filed and was going to file, fly out and get on top and then come back the same route. Uh, had marginal VFR at the airport, so it look, looked pretty good at home. The ceiling was coming up, and it appeared we'd also see VFR by the time we got near home. At no time was it in our forecast to be IFR, so it looked okay to make the trip. I called flight service, got the, late, the last weather briefing, then filed IFR home. We departed VFR, announced our intentions, waited till we got clear of the airport, then changed frequencies to call Cherry Point to activate an IFR flight plan. So departed VFR and activating the IFR flight plan. There was another aircraft departing doing the same thing. I called Cherry Point and didn't hear a thing. The other aircraft was calling and asking the same thing, but no response. My old Cherokee, my old rental Cherokee, wasn't going to get above the cloud layers without going through them. The plan was to not activate, and I knew I couldn't be legal to fly through them, so I descended down to 3,000, then down to 2,500 on the Victor Airway and kept calling Cherry Point while maintaining my distance from the clouds. After about 10 minutes, it was clear that I wasn't going to get them on the phone. Now I'm stuck underneath this layer, and could end up being forced down. I checked the weather all the way down my route, and it was reported, quote-unquote, that I would be okay, but I know weather changes, and I wasn't happy with what I had been handed. I decided to call Washington Center. They could barely hear me, but we did make contact. However, I was too low for them to pick me up on radar. In fact, I was threading the needle between two restricted areas, one called Giant Killer. <laughs> we're over the water, Shore to the left, water and shore to the right, and no one has me on radar. Washington told me to turn 30 degrees left to see if I a contact. They had might they had excuse me a contact they had might be me. This pointed me to one of the restricted areas, so we only did this turn and heading for a few minutes, then turned back. They didn't see me on radar. I had picked an alternate, so I went and landed at the alternate near the water. It was about 43 nautical miles downrange from our starting point. We had marginal VFR, but got in safe and sound. I spent the next hour talking to flight service, then departed and worked our way home. Now my question, I couldn't activate my flight plan because I didn't have contact. I could barely hear Washington Center and didn't want to activate nor climb through solid IMSE for a long time since I am new to instrument, a new instrument pilot. That's important. What was the best thing to do? Continue, go back, file on the ground, and activate on the ground with a void time, and start over. What are your thoughts? Boy, there's a lot here, and this is a great question. I really appreciate your writing in and asking this question. And I know Tom and I are both going to, you know, since we have a lot of instrument students that we work with, we both have different philosophies on this. Uh, When there is anything, uh, and I'll just, and and we had a conversation writing back and forth at the airlines, we used to be able to depart VFR. One of the reasons we can is because of this. Uh, we will actually file on the ground, wait for a clearance void time, even though it's far in the future, and then go. Just like he was talking, what should you do? I'd suggest that just just wait, call up flight service, ask for a clearance void time, then get off the ground during that and fly and try to get radar contact there. But with that clearance void time and with that clearance. There's a chunk of airspace that is actually yours, and you will be actually separated from other aircraft. Interestingly enough, uh, I fly out of Tampa a lot, out of Peter O'Knight Airport, and I fly into Tampa International over Peter O'Knight Airport. And uh, both flying the jet and flying the, the, the prop airplanes, I notice two things. When I'm flying the jet in, a lot of times they'll hold me really high because they'll say, hey, we have an IFR departure off a of Peter O'Night, or I have an IFR departure off a non-towered airport, so we're going to have to wait till we get radar contact. They're waiting for that radar contact, so they get separation from me up here flying the jet or from any of those other, the other folks flying the props down below, but they're making sure that we actually have separation. And not until you get radar contact will they let me descend if I'm coming in you know flying high in the jet, or will they let anybody else take off near that airport until they have radar contact with you then you're back to regular operating procedures so that's that's what I would probably suggest in this condition here is to go ahead and fly i know it's hard i m c uh, if you're not comfortable with that, I I really commend you for doing that and not just jumping up and and trying to go below or above your uh, your minimums. And I think that's great. We all have to set those minimums as far as IFR. So so Tom, I'm curious um, with with your students and just in general, what do you think uh, this this gentleman should do at this point?
3: Yeah, you know, I was looking over this thing, and, and I'm the same way. I, I kind of like to get clearances as soon as I possibly can. And I've gotten them in several different places. Um, I did notice that with the, at uh, Henderson, where he departed from, there was a GCO where he could have used that as well. He could have used that GCO and and it was Raleigh approach and he could have got his clearance there, I think, before you even leave the ground. Usually when they put it in the AFD like that, you or, or the the uh, chart supplement as, it, as it's called now, you can get that clearance at that point. And, and you will. You'll get a clearance void time, which, you know, you should... Probably be asking for that after your run up and everything's done because it's probably not going to be a very large window of opportunity. But at least at that point, you have your clearance.
1: So, Tom, um, as far as the GCO is concerned, just uh, what what is that GCO? One more time.
3: Uh, a grounds clearance ground clearance outlet.
1: Yeah, the, the, the communications outlet, whatever you want to call it, but yeah, the GCO. Grand communication <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But now they can, you can contact uh, air traffic control. So, in doing that, you have a direct line and uh, they still will give you a void time, but at least you're talking them directly. Another way to do that, which I think is, is an idea, I don't know, Tom, if you do this, and I used to do this all the time, I haven't done this in a little while, is uh, instead of using the GCO, use my cell phone. And sure, absolutely.
3: And, th- and that was what I was saying before, is that I've used the cell phone beforehand. And, and they'll give you the, clear- the clearance void times they give you. They're pretty s- tight. You know, I mean, and that's why I wanted, I made sure to say that we uh, try to get all our run-ups and everything done before we actually make the phone call. Because, you know, they'll give you a clearance and they'll say, you know, clearance void time is uh, uh, 1345, time now 1342. You know, and you literally got three minutes to get up in the air and, and contact
1: Departure. Right. Um, By the way, those those ground communications outlets, uh, something a lot of people don't realize is you can actually close your VFR flight plan over a GCO. So next time you fly into an airport, you can actually get in touch with them that way. I know a lot of people use cell phones, but it's just another way to, to get in touch sure. with them. Uh, but- and I was looking for one specifically, Carl, but I know that they've just
3: started um, using telephone numbers specifically mm-hmm. for doing clearances. And, and many of the major outlets and, and um, even a lot of the regional outlets now are starting to publish in the, um, in the chart supplement a, a specific phone number within your FISDO that you can call to get those clearances.
1: I I think that's awesome that they're doing that, and uh, it really makes life a lot easier is to contact people by cell phone. Another idea, too, to get a clearance and a clearance void time, and something that actually I do most often without using a GCO is I call approach control or departure control and uh, say, hey, listen, I'm over here at such and such an airport. A good example, I fly to San Juan a lot and into Puerto Rico, and I'll say, hey, I'm at at Aguadilla, and uh, I need to pick up a clearance and uh, also would like to get a clearance for a departure, and they'll say, hey, yeah, your clearance is void if not off by such a time, and if you are not off by that time, call us back, and you're cleared up to 3,000 feet. We take off. We contact the the CTAF, uh, the Common Traffic Advisory Frequency. We take off. We get up to, say, uh, 2,000 feet after we're out of the traffic pattern, We talk to approach control and they say radar contact, bing, we're done. Now they have the, the regular separation standards once we're in on radar contact. So, another thing you can do, and I, I think this is discounted a lot, I think, is uh, is with not contacting approach control. I think that's another avenue. And I've done that actually within the Tampa area where there is a GCO, and I couldn't get them on the GCO, on the ground communications outlet, and I could actually contact them using approach control and uh, say, hey, you know, hey, I'm going to depart over here at Peter O'Knight. Can you hear me? Oh, yeah, we can hear you. Hey, listen. You know, I want to. I want to go now. Can I get a, a clearance? And like, oh yeah, hang on one minute. And uh, they'll say, okay, you're you're cleared to depart at such and such a time. Clearance void if not off by. And I, I like the point that you made, Tom, where it's actually a, it's a small window, isn't it? It's like five, ten minutes. And if you don't get off, then you can't go, can you?
3: I, I don't. I don't know, but I, well, in the, the area that we're down here, I don't think I've ever gotten as much as ten minutes. It's usually <laughs> been quicker than that.
1: Yeah. So so if you don't take off, you need to contact them directly because uh one of the things they're gonna do if you take off or excuse me, if they don't hear from you, it doesn't matter if you take off or not, if they don't hear from you, the first thing they're gonna do is, is a, a, a start a search and rescue, which really is a minor thing at first. They finally they call the airport, say, Hey, did that guy take off? Uh, that gal take off, and uh, if you are sitting on the runway and they see you and they say, no, he's sitting here, it's like, okay, good. The next thing you do, hopefully, is contact them and say, hey, listen, I can't get off the ground. I'm going back to the gate. I've got to, I'm have got going back to the terminal. I need to, to fix something. Something broke. I'm still on the ground. And then they can open that airspace. But remember, they have to keep that airspace closed. Uh, If you take off and they then they have to start what's called search and rescue, but search first and find out where you are. Hopefully you'll pop up on the radar right away, especially with the the transponder code that they gave you. So important thing to do. Go ahead.
3: Right, right. right. And that was a good point because I wanted to make that is that they're not using the small window of time just because they're – you know, just mean and just want to get you off the ground real quick. It's because they're clearing out that entire airspace and giving it just to you so that you can get off the ground safely and they can get you on your way. And when they clear out that airspace, they can't let anybody else in it. So they want to make it as minimal as possible so that they're not restricted.
1: Yeah. Efficiency is important, uh, and they're not really being mean, although some days I feel like they are being mean just to me. And uh well, but that's you. but that's you, Carl. <laughs> I know. It's what did I do to them? I'm a nice guy. I just try to be. It's that podcast guy. I know. It's him. And they're going to. No, we're not going to let him in the airspace. Uh, What's interesting is that uh, we do sometimes say that some of these controllers are mean to us, et cetera. Listen, they're people. They have bad days, too. So I try to be very patient. I was on the radio the other day with a, you know, actually a ground controller that was being kind of mean. I thought. And uh, told a joke, then finally kind of broke the ice. But uh, I thought I was going to be holding on the ramp for the next two hours until I did that. Uh, so yes, they're they're trying to be as safe as possible. That's for sure. Uh, one of the things though, I want to stress in this question. I think it, it's all. It takes a lot of guts to actually write in and tell us this situation. I, I'm so happy you did uh, because I think it's going to help myself and other listeners here. But. This is this is not just you that's all this happens to a lot of people and uh, don't feel bad about it I like the fact that you took the most conservative route and you decided to go to uh, your alternate land figure out what to do and then take off and climb you also had these minimums which I love that uh, the fact that and it's implied in your discussion here that your minimums for departure and in route as far as your IFR minimums how long you're going to be off ifa- IFR that type of thing are also included there which i really really enjoy that you do that and tom i know um you know i don't instruct a lot right now but uh in general when you have a new ifr pilot that you've actually said okay you're now an instrument pilot do you tell them hey listen you know set some minimums and and don't don't go beyond those for a while
3: oh absolutely um you know I, I have my own, and, and it depends on what I'm flying, um, You know what the mission is, but I have a, a very specific one, that, and it's a statement that I will not go flying if the clouds are lower than blank, the visibility is less than blank, the wind is greater than blank, and the freezing level is lower than blank, and all of those things play into... What type of uh, mission I'm flying, and I'm, I'm going to set those personal minimums. And um, you know, mine are a lot higher. I look at some of these minimums down to approaches and stuff like that. Depends on how many approaches I've been flying. You know, I, I, we got an ILS that comes into my home airport. I can go down to 210 feet. If I have a 200 foot ceiling, I'm just going to go home and have breakfast. I'm not going to go flying that day. You know, <laughs> uh, it's just it's it's below my minimums. You know, mine right now are right around 500 foot level, and that's I don't I don't want to go much lower
1: than that right now. And, and that's because it allows you to get back in if you have a problem, right? That's another reason.
3: Absolutely. Well, and, and part of what you were describing, you know, about this person that wrote in, you know, it's that old saying, you know, you'd rather be on the ground wishing you were in the sky than in the sky wishing you were on the ground, you know? Right. When in doubt, put it down on the ground and, and drop back 10 and punt and figure out what you're going to do next and, and go on. And that's what this person described they did there. And that's good pilotage. You know, sure. that's that's good good decision making.
1: Oh yeah, oh yeah, and and by the way, another question that came up from this, and another side note that we were talking offline is, you know, why is it the airlines can take off if it's below minimums? Like you just talked about 210 feet. Why is it if there's a hundred foot ceiling and a quarter mile visibility that the airliners can still take off? Well, that's because they can actually go to a takeoff alternate. In other words. They have the ability or we have the ability to take off with an airliner and not be able to get back to the airport we took off from. And we make sure that we have enough enough fuel to fly for up to an hour to a takeoff alternate, another airport where we can land. Say it's VFR just 50 miles away, then we can easily fly over there and land if we lose an engine. But we know we're not going to get back in there. So remember that that you you know you see that all the time, and that's that's why that happens and uh the fact that you have these minimums and it's because you want to get back in I think is a great great idea uh and I know it's it's disconcerting to some when they start flying i f r but as you as you move along, just like Tom said, you have certain minimums i know uh one of them I think that you mentioned that was really good is icing a lot of us that fly in the the southern regions we don't fl- we don't think about icing but it sure does happen uh in the in the winter in the south yeah you're going to get icing especially if you're climbing up to an inward altitude you can easily get icing at those altitudes so just think about that just because you're in Florida you in Georgia etc uh, you can you can definitely get some icing in the, the southern regions but uh, anyway as far as as far as the thoughts on that I think that was awesome I think you did a great job uh, the listener that, that wrote in on this and uh, really appreciate the feedback there and by the way if you have a similar story and want to write in contact at stuckmikeavcast.com just to go over something that's this technical uh, we love doing these episodes where it gets it's really really technical especially ifr wise uh, if you have any other questions write in anything on those charts don't forget we have those blown up in in a large jpeg format where you can actually look at those and and if there's anything on those charts that we have online in this episode and in episode 148 just ask us and, and we'll uh we'll answer it in another episode because it'll help other people that are looking at these charts well gosh guys this was an awesome discussion here really good stuff and 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 great information that we've all learned from and hopefully you have learned from from listening to this and uh, i challenge you to go out there and look at some charts and just just chair fly or go on a simulator and actually fly these arrival it's a lot of fun a lot of fun
0: our picks of the week
1: the next thing we have is our picks of the week uh... We, uh, what's interesting is we haven't been able to do too many picks of the week, so this has been great to have everybody together once again on the podcast. So uh, I'll start off with my pick of the week. One of the things that's been interesting, we talked about the the uh, the holding patterns video and the holding patterns in the beginning from our sponsor. And again, d- don't forget to go visit 3PointAviation, facebook.com slash 3PointAviation. That's the number 3 Point Aviation. And they, have, they specialize in aviation seminars and training materials. And on their Facebook page, they have this new collection of short articles about things just like this that we're talking about. But also, we put together a video about holding patterns. We've also put together some other instructions instructional videos. Some of those have to do with aviation careers, too, but we put them all onto one set website. I have a link. It's valeri-aviation.thinkific.com. These courses are not that expensive. They're usually about $10 each. You can sign up. Actually, we're starting a sign-up where you can sign up for $10 per month and get all the different courses. Descend vias. We're also going to have holding patterns. There's also some things on there as far as career coaching, obviously, for the Aviation Careers podcast, uh, but all new podcasts and new uh, courses are going on there. We stopped doing it ourselves on the website because there's so many other companies out there that do it much better than we can and they address the issue of distribution and payment much better than we can do it. Uh and I think it's a great it was a wonderful idea from a friend Andy who uh, said, listen, you need to put it out there, and it's really been helpful to people, and we've tried to keep the cost low. And, of course, those those courses help us produce the podcast, too. So if you're interested, check them out there at uh, valeri-aviation.thinkifit.com. Anyway, uh, the next pick of the week, I think Rick is up next. What is your pick sure. of the week, Rick?
2: Yeah, so not I will go ahead and say not strictly speaking uh, aviation, uh, but I do know that um, – I and a lot of other people that uh, I connect with around aviation are interested in this. And because it's coming up ahead and we have a little bit of warning, just a reminder that um, August 21st is uh, a solar eclipse. And in part of the country, it's a total solar eclipse. And so I recommend people go to eclipse2017.nasa.gov, which is a very complete um uh, you know, in, in depth kind of information about what's going to happen that day, where it will happen, uh, what you can u- you know, use to see it, where you, where you should be to see what percentage in this part of the, co- in, in which part of the country. And uh, it's just a great thing. And you can plan it. And I would recommend, given if you're interested in this at all, this is something you don't kind of skip, especially if you're close to the path of totality, because it doesn't happen in your lifetime where you are very often.
1: No, so that's for sure. That's
2: but... Eclipse2017.nasa.gov.
1: Eclipse 2017. That NASA.gov. Thanks, and Rick, yep. will, you'll get that link to us. It'll be in the show yep. notes. Yeah, okay. And put that down. Uh, and what's really cool, if you're a nerd like uh, Rick and I, as far as yeah. NASA is concerned, you know who, what's his name, uh, Miss, Mr. Eclipse or Doctor Eclipse? He's on there and talks. Yep. To, he's he's seen more eclipses than I think anybody else out there. It's pretty. I you pretty know cool.
2: I there there was one. I lived in South Florida when I was a kid, and there was one then, and I had a Super Eight. You know, those of you who are <laughs> who are old Super enough 8. to remember the Super Eight a movie, I made time lapse of. That eclipse. So yeah. it was probably 10, you know, and really? uh, or something like that. I can give you that. And, yeah. And so I've, this one won't be, much, uh, this one will be visible where I am here in, in the Northeast. It'll be between 75% and 60%. So it's not going to be great, great. And I'm not going uh, to travel because it's just not convenient. But, uh, but boy, if you get near totality, well, one, it's going to be hard to get a hotel already because uh, people, Are going there to see it Uh, but but if you're close you can go out in your backyard um check out the path because it's it's kind of basically from the northwest to the southeast across the country cutting through i think st louis
1: right right yeah Yeah. that's awesome
2: there's another one in the 20 in the early 20s that'll that'll clip the northern part of this of this country so you got another shot at it uh in theory
1: Interesting, yeah. Hopefully, yeah. we'll still all be here by then. And, yeah, there uh, you
2: go. <laughs> and and we're gonna see
1: the 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 super eight that you have of this, the eight millimeter. Uh, you I know think. what? I,
2: I have to find it, but I should. <laughs> I want to. That's a, it's great. Uh, yeah, that would be cool. I some, I, if I can find that, plus some stills. Uh, although, I'm actually, I don't think I want anyone to see the pictures of me standing there with my little telescope
0: <laughs> in my bell Aww. my bell bell bottom oh,
2: know. 1960s jeans that'd and, be cool. you know, yeah pretty funny <laughs> uh but yeah it's um I, you know it's a cool thing it's it's the, all the stuff is out there in space it's part of it's part of everything we are and what we do and it's just cool that you know when it impacts us it's kind of fun to be able to check it out so awesome well, don't, don't miss yeah. It. Yeah. eclipse. oh it's ba- basically uh depending on where you are it's gonna it's about midday midday okay you know, it's like, it's, it's, you know, obviously it's daytime, has to be, but it, I think by the time it gets to the East Coast, it'll be around noon. And of course, you could watch
1: it from the air, get in an airplane and go fly and check it yeah. out. Yeah. And I, if
2: you're at totality, it'll get really dark. Yes. wonder what that's like. Oh, well.
1: Oh, uh, dun dun dun. There's the music. <laughs> but thanks I, for the... <laughs> if,
2: if any of our listeners are going to try that or they do try it, let us know. I'd love to know what that's about because I get, I think it gets fairly dark. Yeah. Send us photos.
1: That'd yeah. be really it, cool. It
4: gets legit dark. Like, you yeah. see the stars and the bugs start chirping, thinking it's nighttime. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. if you're flying, you know, it's just an interesting
2: That's thing. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's like you, you you go into night. It's twilight to nighttime, back to daylight, depending on where, you know. That's pretty cool. Anyway. Wow.
1: Awesome stuff, Rick. Thanks. I appreciate that. <laughs> Clips2017.nasa.gov. Uh, anyway, moving along to our next pick of the week. Victoria, what is your pick of the week?
4: Mine's the girly pick. Um, I found on Amazon an airplane dress the other day, and I have been wearing it to all our aviation events, and I've been getting compliments left and right. Um, So you ladies or you gentlemen who want to buy your ladies an airplane dress um it's by cow cow and it's on amazon and since i bought this one they actually have other airplane patterns on there now too there's a a biplane one and there's also one with hot air balloons and airplanes so um you can do a quick search and find them all but i'll also do the link to the one i have um it's 15 bucks comes from china but um it's quite comfortable and breezy and stylish
1: awesome have And they may have other styles besides aviation that look pretty cool,
4: yes, so uh, there's like, like unicorns and cupcakes. it's great.
1: Unicorns, rainbows, cupcakes, and Tyrannosaurus Rex, and that's my favorite. Hey, that's uh,
4: the one I'm wearing today. <laughs> oh, get out! Oh, that's so I, cool. I am legit wearing a dinosaur dress right now. No, awesome. Yes. <laughs> it's yellow with dinosaurs all over it.
1: <laughs> oh, too cool! Another dinosaur geek has. It's going to be the the dinosaur podcast after this. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, but uh, cool stuff. Thanks. We'll have a link there in the show notes. And uh, let's see, Tom, what is your pick of the week?
3: Yeah, so my pick of the week is also kind of a little shout out to our friend Trevor. So uh, is uh, his website is chartedall.com. And I know we've talked about him before, but, you know, uh, he's he was such an enterprising young man. And, um, you know, just his whole, uh, he started this company um, trying to save money to go to college. Uh, Trevor's a young man who's, uh, like I said, very enterprising. And he's figured out a way to put um, sectional charts on all sorts of, clothing items and and other stuff as well t-shirts blankets aprons coffee cups socks um if you go to chartedall.com and uh look at the bottom of it there you'll see pictures scrolling through i believe there's a picture there of our uh host carl interviewing trevor on the deck over at sun and fun radio awesome so yeah i did i saw it going through there so anyway you know we're coming up on oshkosh and you know um i know trevor is still uh you know trying to get uh through his endeavors to get through college um, with through his, um, through his business here. So I uh, give a shout out to chartedall.com and uh, get yourself a shirt. They're awesome. Um, th- they'll make them for the area that you uh, live in. So if you have a sectional chart for, for where you are, I think that can be done. And, um, you know, you can contact them there and, and put an order in.
1: And I'm going to get the blanket. I think that's really cool. I'm going to throw that on the, on the couch. I wonder how the wife would take that.
3: Yeah, well, I was mm-hmm. looking on that. They got, they got He's got socks on there now. I don't know if I saw those before. Yeah, I mean, no, I saw having, 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 like, you know, ugly socks anymore seems to be all the rage. I see all these neon colors on, you know, business professionals. They got these, you know, standard Navy suits on with these, you know, neon green and orange socks. I don't know what that's all about, but it
1: seems to be all the rage. Yeah, it's awesome. And Trevor's doing a great job there. By the way, Trevor is a really talented uh social media guru now and interviewer of people, and I just, uh, as a matter of fact, we should definitely have him on the show because, uh, well, we'll let him tell a story, but he has a really unique story and has been involved in aerospace aviation and especially into uh, NASA and uh, following the astronauts all his life, and he, he knows more than most people do uh about the nasa program so i'd love to have him on the program here so we'll definitely try to get trevor on definitely to promote it Chartitall.com with a terrific person uh so thanks for that tom i think that was a great pick of the week well gosh that's uh that's all the time we have and i wish we could talk more about some of these amazing things that we've talked about here by the way go to the show notes check out uh all those you know all the things that we talked about here i know it's kind of tough sometimes when you're driving to listen to this listen to it again online you can click on the different charts that we talked about. I have a big JPEG version of it, so you can blow it up, go through the whole arrival just as we talked about it, and figure out what we did and, and also the different scenarios. If you have comments on anything we talked about, suggestions, please contact us. Contact at stuckmikeavcast.com. Of course, you can go to our Facebook page, Stuck Mike Avcast, and visit our friends and all of our sponsors here at the Stuck Mike Avcast. Well, you know, from myself and from Tom Frick, Victoria Neuvel, and also from Rick Felty up north. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next episode, and of course,
0: safe fun. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast.